pray and ask and invite God to speak to our hearts. Pray after me, Avinu Malkenu, our Father and our King. Give me eyes to see, ears to hear, a heart to perceive, and the will to obey the word that I hear today in Yeshua's name. Amen. Um, the title of today, we're starting a new series entitled Miracle Grow, How to Develop Good Soil. And um, we're going to start off, I guess appropriately, with the parable of the sower, okay? Because God has a design. This is what God is telling us about the soil of our hearts. And it says, therefore, hear, and he's telling this to God's people. He wants you to hear this. <laughs> hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who receives seed by the wayside. But he who received the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Places this, I'm sorry, immediately, I lost my place, immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself but endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution or life arises, because of the word, immediately he stumbles. Now he who receives seed among the thorns is he who hears the word, and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becomes unfruitful. But he who receives seed on good ground is he who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. God's desire is that we would have good soil and that we would produce fruit, right? Um, fruit that benefits, yes, his kingdom, but it benefits our life as well when we're fruitful in God. We just finished a series on prayer, and I have to announce, if you got the email, we were tickled as rabbis <laughs> that we had such a great turnout for prayer this week. Um, probably uh, quadruple, quadruple, four times, <laughs> the amount of people came out this week than, than usual. And it was great to see, and it was great to experience, because even though it's more, just you say, just well, just some more people. What's the difference? The dynamic of prayer in a bigger group is different, and it was a wonderful time. And prayer is certainly one of the foundations of what we will be talking about, uh, you know, kind of woven in and out of this series because it is such a foundation. Um, but today we're going to be talking about, and we're going to be going into over the weeks, um, aids that the Word of God gives us to be able to um, cause the soil of our heart to be receptive to God, His Word, His ways, and to bear fruit. Okay, these are things that we can do. These are things that we can practice. These are not concepts beyond our understanding. These are things that we can practically do every day that will affect change in us. See, often we think that God is looking for external Eternal change, when in fact he is looking for a transformation of our heart. When we are transformed in our heart, 
The fruit of our lives uh, bears witness to that fact. And God is looking to change us from the inside out. I was telling someone this week, one of the most powerful things that I think is recorded for us in the scripture when it says that the enemy came to Yeshua but had nothing in him. What does that mean? And I told the person, it means that there were no buttons to push in Yeshua. So the enemy could spit in his face and rip out his beard and mock him and call him all sorts of names. And what flowed out of Yeshua? Not retaliation, not hatred, love. Father, forgive them. There was nothing in him, no hook, nothing to push his button to get him riled up and in the flesh and to cause him to lash out against someone. He was free. And I told this person that that is what freedom is, that the enemy has nothing in us, that we don't take offense at people. Yeshua didn't take offense that they called him the devil. Think about it, God being called the antithesis of that. Didn't take offense at that. Why? Because there was no offense in him. He was free inside and that, trans, that which we see in Yeshua is what he wants to transform us into. That we would be like him. That we wouldn't have things in us that get us riled up when our spouse says something to us. It just gets our goat. That those things would be gone and we'd be free. These um, aids or disciplines, I hate to use the word discipline, because when people hear discipline, no, it's an aid, it's a, it's a tool. When we take these tools and use them, we will begin to see a greater transformation in our heart. We won't just be going from fire to fire, putting out the fires in our life, but we will be walking through life in victory and freedom. How many people want that? Okay, listen, both of you, okay, <laughs> you're going to get that. You're going to get what you ask for. (laughs) All right. So, the first aid or discipline or tool, whatever you want to call it, call it whatever makes you happy. Call it whatever you can really live with. The first discipline that we're going to be talking about today is meditation. Now, sometimes when believers hear the word meditation, they get all weird because they think of weird meditation. But the Bible, okay, talks about meditation, and there is goodly and godly and biblical meditation that believers are to engage in. So listen to this in Tehillim 19. It says, let the words of my mouth and the meditation Of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. So today is biblical meditation day. Tehillim 77.12 says, I will meditate on your work and muse on your deeds. Tehillim 104 and 1 says, let my meditation be pleasing to him. As for me, I shall be glad in the Lord. Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty, covering yourself with light as with a cloak, stretching out heaven like a tent curtain. 
Tehillim 119, 15 and 16, I will meditate on your precepts and regard your ways. I shall delight in your statutes. I shall not forget your word. And then Yehoshua, Joshua chapter 1 and verse 8, and if you want to find a key to life that is going to bring success, this tells us right here, very plainly, so simply, and it says this, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. You shall what? Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have success. So we will have success and be prosperous when what? We meditate on the word of God and we obey its precepts. But it starts with meditation. What we dwell on. Philippians 4.8 says, Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. Meditate on these things. I think... These verses are a pretty strong case as to why every believer should be meditating according to the word of God. The Hebrew words used for meditation are she'ach and hagah, and they mean, this is what they mean in their contexts. They mean to listen to God's word and to reflect on God's works and to rehearse his deeds and to, I love this word, ruminate on his laws. Ruminate on them. Ruminate on his instruction. The, the, it's translated laws, but the Hebrew term is really instructions. To ruminate on God's instructions. This is what meditate means for us. So when we think about these ideas, we can understand that they require time, a little bit of time. Now, I'm not saying that you need a whole bunch of time, but if you want to change your life, you need to give God at least some time. And meditation requires time. Listen to what someone said, John Woolman. He said this, hurry is not of the devil, it is the devil. Hurry is not of the devil, it is the devil. Why? How many times, and we could be honest, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, have you gone into a time of devotion before God, but because of everything you have going on in your day, you feel like you hurried through it just to get out of it, just to get in and get out? Not that you don't love God, not that you, know he, you don't know he's worthy of your praise, but you were just in your spirit hurried. And you wanted to have time, but you also wanted to get on with your day. That hurry is not of the devil, it is the devil. Because if we're going to be changed, if our ways are going to be prosperous, and if we're going to have success, according to Yehoshua chapter 1, we need to meditate on God's instructions. So, What is 
meditation. Before we do that, I want to talk about godly meditation versus ungodly meditation. People, like I said, often freak out when they hear believers talk about meditation because an image of humming with the legs crossed comes to mind. These images come from Eastern forms of meditation, not from the Bible. Biblical meditation is about filling our minds with godly thoughts, while other types of meditation are all about emptying our minds and chanting mantras with the goal of entering nirvana or inner peace. So where unbiblical methods are emptying, God's way is filling our minds with good thoughts, godly thoughts, the word of God, etc. Michelle Lazaruk writes, Eastern meditation hopes to summon a foreign god by chanting or incantations. But believers already have access to the living God through Messiah. So Messiah Yeshua is the mediator between God and man and atones for all sin. So we don't practice that, right? Because we have the living God living in our hearts. Ungodly and unscriptural meditation has people chant and repeat words over and over for the sake of um, relieving anxiety and bringing peace. Where godly meditation leads the believers to transformation, bringing them closer to God by reflecting and meditating on who God is, his love for us, his word of God, his promises. And when we do that, that brings true peace as we connect in a greater way to the Prince of Peace. Lastly, ungodly or New Age meditation is about chanting and, again, repeating words so that we can become our own God. Biblical meditation draws our attention to the one true God and to meditate on his goodness and his truths. Those are the major differences. And so, as we look to biblical meditation, we are, have to be active participants. We have to fill our minds with the word of God, fill our minds with the images of God's promises for us and his great love. Biblical meditation and its benefits, what are they? Look what it says in Tehillim chapter 1. Uh, I love this, this psalm, and it, you would do well to meditate on this one yourself. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the instruction of the Lord, and his, in his instruction he meditates day and night. That's what Yehoshua told us, right? But he shall be like, what shall that person be like? Who takes God up on this challenge to meditate on his instructions for us. It says, he shall be like a tree planted by rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in season, whose leaf shall not wither, and whatever he does, say whatever he does, prospers. How many people would sign up for that? If they had, a, you, know, you know those classes they have at the library? If they had a little library class, come learn how you could... Uh, uh, learn how 
to live your life so whatever you do prospers and is successful. How many people do you think would go to that class? Yet the Word of God points us to the very secret of, right, of success right here in the Word of God. So how do we do it? It consists of several things. And that's one, listening to God's word. Meditation is about slowing down and listening to God as he speaks to us through his word. Not reading the word. A lot, everyone in this room will probably say you read the word of God. That's not what meditation is. It is slowing down and listening to the word of God. Okay? Um, It requires time in order to listen to God's voice in his word. For instance, when we read, and many of us have read this psalm many times, Tehillim 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, right? He makes me lie down in green pastures, so on and so forth. We read it. We say, wow, that was a good psalm. I love that one. And we move on. Meditation goes more like this. The Lord is my shepherd. What does it mean that God is my shepherd? What are the implications that God, the God of all the earth, personally shepherds me? And personally leads me in my life. That's a profound thought right there. That the Lord of heaven and earth, who many would say is too busy for us, who are we in the scheme of things. But the Lord of heaven and earth is my shepherd. What does a shepherd do? Shepherd protects the sheep. The shepherd guides the sheep. The shepherd um, brings healing to the sheep, right? Leads them where they can find sustenance for the sheep. We reflect on God being our shepherd. When we take a few minutes and meditate on what the word is actually saying to us, it becomes transformative. So many people read the word of God, they close it and they're gone. And they're left unchanged. But when we meditate on God's word and give, give it some time to soak in for its realities to, 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 to strike our heart and to touch us, it's a powerful thing. This should not lead only to reflection. It also should lead us to repentance and even obedience. It says, the Lord is my shepherd. How many of us in the past year have been our own shepherd? I could raise my hand. I've been my own shepherd. I've said, you know what? Shepherd, shepherd, you want to leave me that way? No, this way's better. And I've gone this way. And it hasn't turned out so great. 
And so maybe I need to repent and say, God, forgive me for doing my own thing, going my own way. And so it leads me to repentance, but it leads me to obedience because he wants to lead me into where? Green pastures. How many people like that imagery? Green pastures and still, still, still waters. Peaceful place in this tumultuous world. That's what we begin to understand when we stop and we listen to the word of God and we reflect on the word of God and now we begin to act on those reflections. That's meditation. And that's powerful. Just reading the word of lo- alone is useful, but it's only one little discipline. We might be better served if we're just going to read a chapter and move on with our our day. We might be better served to meditate on the Word and allow those realities to strike our heart, that they would be changing our life, that we would understand that God's desire is to lead us and guide us and help us and feed us and protect us and nurture us. And when I go my own way, I put myself in danger. When I go my own way, I put my family in danger. When I do my own thing, it's not going to turn out as well as if and when I do God's thing. So we meditate on God's word, think about it. We also reflect on God's works. Meditation is also about reflecting upon God's works. And this is why we sometimes fail to understand the majesty of God. This is why we sometimes fail to understand that in our life that we're talking about the God of the universe. That we're going to stand before one day. And I know we're called the friends of God and that's all great things. That God loves us and that's a great thing. But he is also God, most high. And the Shaliach, Yochanan, who walked with Yeshua, right? Three and a half years, ate with him, touched him, handled him. When he saw the risen Mashiach, it wasn't like, hey, Yeshua, how's it going? Long time no see. He fell like a dead man in awe of the glorious splendor of the risen Messiah. When we reflect on God's works, we get a perspective of who God is. And it's kind of like what we did in that song today. That bridge. You have no rival. You have no equal. And we reflect, wow, that is so true. God has no rival, no equal. And he's with me. And he's for me. And he wants to help me, God, who, who, who rose from the grave. Wow. That's the God that I serve. Tehillim 19. Guys, we need to have a paradigm shift in how we approach God. Because how we've approached God all our lives, may not be producing the fruit. Remember, we let off with the parable of the sower. We want 
right, the soil of our hearts to produce what kind of fruit? 30, 60, or a hundredfold fruit. It's one of the three, okay? 30 is okay, 60 is awesome, and 100 is even better, but we want to produce fruit, amen? Tehillim 19 and 2 says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hand day after day. It says they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. That's why in Romans chapter 1, it says this. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen. How? Being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. All you, friend, all you have to do is walk outside and see this majestic creation that God made and be awestruck as to who God is. And he says men are without excuse to say, oh, God's not real just by what they could see with their naked eye. Meditation also allows us to realize the power and glory of God, which will bring transformation. And this is where we can rehearse God's work. Okay, rehearse it. So we reflect on God's work, but then we rehearse it. And this is good to do in our lives. A lot of us walk around thinking, oh, God hates me. Oh, God's not for me. When in fact, if you would reflect and rehearse your life and see all the wonderful things that God has done for you, that you're here sitting, right, serving God today, okay, and not off doing your own thing in all sorts of trouble because God rescued you. And you rehearse when God healed you. And when God helped you, and when God provided for you, and when God came through when you, when you, for your children and for your family, and you rehearse that, and you see, wow, it wasn't just once or twice or three times. No, it was dozens and dozens of times God has come through for me. He's been faithful for me. And what does that do to me? Oh, yeah, that... that that causes that bond between me and God to grow and get stronger and stronger. Whatever is pure, lovely, excellent, dwell on these things. That's why the enemy of our soul would have us to dwell on everything that hasn't happened. Every prayer that supposedly wasn't answered. Everything that went wrong. And I would say this, as it comes to relationship, I wouldn't suggest, by the way, that you treat your earthly relationship with your spouse that way. Because if you're going to look at your spouse and harp on everything that went wrong and everything that's wrong and everything that didn't happen the way you want it to happen, you're going to be in bad shape. But if you look at your spouse and you rehearse the good, the excellent, the praiseworthy. Accentuate the good qualities. Guess what? You're going to be happy and blessed. The same is true for our relationship with God. We rehearse his works. We look in the word of God and we see his works. Matthew 4.24 And they brought to him 
to Yeshua. All, say all. All who were ill, those suffering with various diseases and pains, demoniacs, epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them. Matthew 21, 14, the blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. 1530, great crowds came to him, bringing the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others, and laid them at his feet, and he healed them. A large crowd followed him, and he healed all who were ill, Matthew 12. 12. Rehearsing God's words. Because when we see, that's why the, the word of God, to meditate day and night on his instructions is so important. Because we see God for who he is. Not for what people tell us he is. Not even what our experience might say. Because if we're not really walking, really in step with God, listen, there's lots of believers, hear me, who do not have regular devotions. Their devotions consist of getting in their car, driving to work, showing, throwing up a quick prayer, maybe getting a half a chapter of scripture in during lunch and just moving on with their day. If that's your experience with God, right, you're going to start to form your opinion about God based on that relationship, which ain't going to be the strongest, because trying to have, try to have that type of relationship with your spouse. Give her three minutes, listen to her for about two minutes, and then turn her off the rest of the day and see how your relationship goes. <laughs> then come and tell the rabbi, hey, guy, rabbi, man, I have a dynamic relationship with my wife. I spend three minutes a day with her. And it's so powerful. No, you would be saying, rabbi, what's wrong? But when you rehearse God's work and you see God for who he really is, a healer, a provider, a deliverer, a redeemer, a God of love, a God who nothing is impossible for him means that there's nothing impossible for me. When I read about that God and I say that's the God I serve, all of a sudden the cap comes off what I can expect God to do for me because God could do anything. God has done anything and God has done everything and I see it day in and day out in the word of God and he has changed my opinion of him. It would be like, and maybe this has happened to you, have you ever heard some bad things about a person? And now you're going to be in that person's presence and you, as you're going into that meeting or that venue, you're saying to yourself, wow, this is going to be a real winner. I heard this dude is something to behold. And you go in and you meet the person and in the course of an hour you say, wow, that person is pretty cool. Pretty nice person. That person is nothing like what they would describe to me as. Because firsthand you experienced them and your opinion started to change. And now your thoughts toward them change. Same is true in the word of God. We form our own opinions based on often a weak relationship with him. And we say, ah, the word of God doesn't work like it does in, in the Bible. It doesn't work for me. 
Friends, the, the people in the Bible that saw the word of God worked gave their whole life to him. And that's why we see great exploits done through them. And when we start to come in line with the fact that Yeshua is everything he says he is, and I can see that realized in my life through meditation and prayer and all those things, that I can now become a participator in the Bible that I read. So many people are spectators of the Bible. They read the scripture as spectators. Oh, wow, look what God did 2,000 years ago. Look what God did for Abraham. Versus saying, hey, I can relate to what God did for Abraham because he does it for me. I can relate for what, you know, God did with that lame man because God healed me. I can relate to God providing and multiplying things because I just heard Adelon give a testimony that the finances that she had were like multiplied to stretch and go further. She gave more away and yet had more. That sounds like what I read in the Bible of Yeshua multiplying the loaves and the fish. Because when you give it to him, he could do something with it that you can't do on your own. The Bible now is not just something I read. When I meditate on it, it's something that I am actively participating in. I'm participating in all those truths in the word of God. I'm seeing them happen in my life too. So why meditation? Why should you do it? Hopefully I gave you some reasons already, but why should you do it? In meditation, we are growing into what Thomas Kempis calls us in a familiar friendship with Yeshua. How familiar? Right? Because familiarity goes beyond knowing about someone. Like I said, knowing about someone, you could simply get their bio and know about them. That's not the same as knowing them, right? You can read someone's bio on the internet and think you really have a, a pulse on who they are. You could call them on the phone and say, hey, this is Michael. I know all about you. And they're going to say, who are you? You know, Michael, I know everything about you. I read everything there is to read about you, all your books. Who are you? I don't know you. See, knowing about someone is not knowing someone. And so meditation brings us and calls us to a familiar, familiar friendship with Yeshua. Draws us closer to him. In the celebration of discipline, it says this about meditation. What happens in meditation is that we create the emotional and spiritual space that allows Messiah to construct an inner sanctuary in the heart. We create this space by giving God room to move in our lives, by slowing ourselves down a little bit, by reflecting on him and saying, interacting with heaven. 
So much of what believers call devotions are nothing more than quick reads. A devotional with the Messiah, with God, is a connection. I've said this for many years. I believe with all my heart. You could say, well, Rabbi, I pray an hour a day. And I would say, awesome, (laughs) keep up the good work. But out of that hour, how many minutes do you actually connect with God? Where you're not distracted, where you're not, you know, running for your phone, distracted by everything you have to do. But how many minutes in the time that you spend with God, whether it be an hour, which I'm not advocating for an hour. If you spend an hour, great. If you spend 10 minutes, great. Whatever you have. But out of that time that you allocate to God, how much of that time do you actually connect with him? Where you feel that you have entered into the presence of God, you're communicating with the creator. That's the important time. Not to say, well, I have my devotions today. Check off. It's not like any other discipline we do. Can you imagine, again, liking it to our spouse? Carol, I'm done. I spent the five minutes with you, and I'm going to work. Yeah, I would come home, and my clothes would be outside on the, on the stoop, right? It is a, say, connection. Say it, connection. I want you to think when you sit down before God to have the goal that you are going to connect with God in a real, personal, real, genuine, intangible way. That when you leave your time of devotion, you're going to feel refreshed because you were in the presence of the living God. He spoke to your heart through the word. He told you something about himself, something about you, something about your situation that uplifts your spirit because you, heaven, just met earth in that moment. Friend, if we're not doing that, we might as well go join the racket club, the racquetball club. We go join whatever, Knights of Columbus. Right? It's just a, a social club. Just whatever you want to do. We'll join the weightlifting gym. Right, Gabe? We'll go pump some iron. And we could, you know, go out for coffee afterwards instead of an Oneg. But that's not what we're looking for, is it? We're looking to connect with heaven. That's why we come. Well, if we stop short of that in our private times, we're short-selling ourselves. Guys, don't do it. Have the goal that you are going to meditate on God, his kingdom, his instructions, that there's going to be an exchange between heaven and you. And your life is never going to be the same. That's why meditation. This brings about transformation of the heart, right? We're looking for a heart soil that bears fruit. Friend, listen to me and listen to me clearly. If you do not sit in the presence of God, and if you do not meet with God, the soil of your heart isn't going to be the right soil. It's going to be hard. It's going to be, man. You ever meet someone and say, that's a, that's a tough cookie. <laughs> that, that is one tough cookie. No matter what you tell them, ding, 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 it bounces off. Okay, we can be one tough cookie to God. 
or our hearts could be good soil that when he speaks to us, it goes right in. We drink it up. Because a lot of people can't even receive this from God. I love you. They hear the words, I love you, and they say, well, that can't be God. God doesn't love me. God doesn't. But God does love you. And the only way to receive that is if your soil is good soil and receptive soil to get that implanted word in your heart. Meditation helps that happen. And I'm gonna give, let me give you a tip. Meditating on your iPhone. Friend, if I, can I tell you this? If I had my way, I would take my iPhone, my iPhone, and I would put it on the ground, and I would get so much pleasure out of taking a sledgehammer to that thing and smashing it to smithereens. What a waste of time. That people walk around. Hey, how you doing? What are you looking at? I'm checking my Facebook. Well, I'm right here. Hi, I'm a friend on your Facebook. Let's be friends right now in the flesh. I'm checking my Facebook. And 80 to 90% of their day is spent with their head down scrolling through their iPhone. Could you imagine if you read a book? You read a book. If you read the Bible, better yet. If we don't do these things, we're just practicing religious religiosity. It's just religion. We come, yeah, yeah, what a beautiful name it is, awesome. Yeah, beautiful. Okay. Okay, hurry up, Rabbi. All right, all right, you're done, and let me get on with my day. Friend, I don't want to live, I don't want, that's not the experience I want. I want the experience that I could say when I leave this room, when I leave my prayer closet, when I leave any uh, event that has to do with the kingdom of God, that God spoke to me, I heard him clearly, I experienced his presence, and if I obey him, my life is going to be changed. That's the type of experience I want. I don't want to just come in and come out and to say, hey, I did it. I went to the meeting. Awesome. No, it's not awesome. It's only awesome if it's awesome. Right? Oh, that was awesome. People say that all the time. Was it awesome for you? Rabbi, worship was really good. My question in my heart is saying, was it really good for you? I hope it was. I hope it was good for you like it was good for me. I hope it is. And don't get me wrong, it's not always good for me. Because sometimes I fall prey to distractions and things like that. And let me tell you, when that happens, I hate it. But it's awesome when it's awesome. So when you, quote unquote, what you're supposed to be doing 
when you have your devotional times, right, you're supposed to be meeting with who? Now, if I set that up in the natural, where I got God to manifest his presence and stand right here and say he's taking appointments all day long, schedule your appointment with him, okay? When you came out of that appointment with Yeshua, I think you would say to me that that was awesome. (laughs) That was awesome. Woo! Right? That's what's supposed to happen when you meet with God in your devotions. It's supposed to be awesome. You met with God today. He gave you some fuel and food for your soul that you're going to hold on to all day. So meditation is when one is truly focused and connected to God. Someone wrote this little poem. Now I'm closing. Look at this. Listen to this poem. This is someone who wants to draw near to God. They wrote this. Only to sit and think of God. Oh, what a joy it is. To think the thought, to breathe the name. Earth has no higher bliss. To think the thought, to breathe the name of God. Earth has no higher thought than that, no higher bliss. That is it. That's what we created to do. To me, that's what's meant by our reasonable act of worship. That's our reasonable act of worship, meeting with God. How do we meditate? We learn to meditate. Here, this ready, this is a profound mystery. Rabbi, how do I meditate? You learn to meditate by meditating. You learn to meditate by meditating. That's why I used to tease years ago because it was big about prayer. They're having a prayer conference, three days about prayer. And you go there and there's speaker after speaker after speaker and worship after worship after worship and no prayer. (laughs) Wait, I just went to a prayer conference for three days and I didn't spend five minutes in prayer. What's wrong with that picture? You know how you learn how to pray? Not by going to a conference. You learn how to pray by going in your room, closing the door, and praying. You might not be good at first. Who cares? It's only talking to God anyway. He understands. You don't have to be eloquent with God. You close your door and you begin to pray to God. That's how you learn how to pray. When you do that on a regular basis, you come out the other end a few years later and you know how to pray. Meditation's the same way. How do I meditate? By meditating. You close the door, you quiet your spirit, you find a place where you're comfortable. Get in a position where you're comfortable. You don't stand on the edge of the uh, bathroom uh, tub. You find a nice place to be comfortable. You sit down and you quiet your soul and you reflect on the word of God. God, the Lord is my shepherd. And I shall not want. You spend a few minutes understanding who God is. Not for in theory. Leading sheep? No, he's leading you. You're the sheep in the, in the story, <laughs> and you and you and you come to 
connect with God in that way. You think about God's truth and you listen to what the Ruach might reveal. So set time aside. Time doesn't mean a lot of time. Well, I don't have a lot of time. You have the amount of time you have, I have the amount of time I have. Whatever time you do have, set it aside and take a portion of that time and just meditate on God. Think about God. Think about his love for you. God's love for you, your family. And just dwell on the love of God. Think about the scriptures of the love of God. Think about how God has shown his love to you over the years. And just meditate on that. That is life transforming. That's it. That's the principle of meditation. If we practice it, wow. We'll never be the same if we practice it. We say, Rabbi, I pray, I'm good. Okay? That's fine. But I'm suggesting you might want to give this another look and say, God, I think I need to quiet my spirit. Instead of being moved by everything else in my life, I'm going to quiet myself before you and be moved by your voice, your instructions. Not by what everyone else is telling me, the voices are telling me to do, but what you are instructing me to do. We live by his instructions. We will be transformed. We will be fruitful. Everything we do will prosper. How, do I, how can I say that with, with certainty? Because the word says it. You will, right? When you meditate on his instruction day and night, every Thing, everything you do will prosper. I like that proposition. So I'm going to be meditating more. <laughs> so these disciplines that we're going to be going over during the weeks will transform your relationship with God and transform your life. But you have to decide that you want to incorporate them in. I hope you do because they are really wonderful things, tools that God has given us, to put in our spiritual toolbox, to be able to get to the, you know, Ralph knows, if I wanted to take that outlet cover off and I don't have a, a screwdriver, that little simple 10-second job is going to take me 20 minutes. I'm going to have to go get a butter knife. You ever do that? Try to find the butter knife and it's gonna, the tip is going to bend and it's going to take me 20 minutes to do a 20-second job with, with the wrong tool. But these tools are given to us so we could succeed in God. Amen? Let's stand to our feet. Avinu Makenu, our Father and our King, we, Lord, we truly want to experience you, your fullness. God, we don't want to be folks that just go through the motions. But God, we want to have an encounter with you each and every day, every time we gather. Father, we want to encounter you, God, in your fullness for who you really are. 
Lord, we want to be fruitful for your kingdom. We want to be fruitful for our families. We want to be fruitful, Lord, in this world as we live it. Father, we want to have the kind of success that the word promises to those who serve you. So, Lord, I pray, God, for each one here, God, that you would, Lord, allow us by your grace, Lord, to be able to put this principle of meditation. God, even if I have five minutes, that I would take five minutes and meditate on who you are, your word, your works. I would rehearse your deeds in my life. And, Lord, I would allow that to transform my heart, that the soil of my heart would be good, fruitful soil. Father, I pray that over every family here, every person here. Father, I pray it, God, from young to old, God, that you would, Lord, by divine grace, enable every heart to get into that quiet place before you and to, Lord, connect with you in a real and powerful way every day. And, Lord, that they would be the better for it. Father, I thank you for each life here. Father, I pray that they would know your love, Lord, that transcends understanding. Be with them, help them. We ask it in Yeshua's name. Amen. Stretch forth your hand. Isar Adonai Panavilecha Vyasem Lecha Shalom May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Father, we ask you, B'Shem Yeshua Mishikeno, and everyone said, Amen. God bless you. Um, Go in peace, Shabbat Shalom. If you need prayer, um, I'm available to pray. Um, So let's do that. Amen.